disappointed. You know, I never even thought about those, all those words in there. And uh, I gave him the scripture reading tonight, and I was looking back, and I saw him back there. He was going, what, what? And then dawned on me, those words. So uh, I'll cut your break. But man, he's a, he's a preacher student. He ought to learn those words. So <laughs> anyway, appreciate the reading. Today was, well, uh, today was a good day. After services this morning, uh, Alan Walling was baptized. Um, you know, Alan spent quite a bit of time in the hospital and has had a lot of time to reflect and decided that uh, he didn't really understand what he was doing when he was baptized as a younger child, younger boy. And so he uh, had Don uh, Wagner baptize him this afternoon after services. And so we're proud of him. And, and if you have the opportunity, uh, write him a note or send him a message or give him a call and encourage him for uh, the action that he took today. A side note to that, um, Don did the baptism. We have two sets of waiters back there. There's my size and there's Justin's size. (laughs) Uh, I held my size up beside of Don with the feet touching on the ground. I've got a really good picture of it, it almost goes to the top of his head, and uh, I've placed that on Facebook if you want to go look at it. But uh, you know, there are a lot of things you have to think about as a preacher. I never thought about waiters. You know, I, they didn't go over that in preacher and his work. And so, when I took my first job, the preacher that was there before me was about five eight, five seven, somewhere in that neighborhood, and had a size seven eight shoe. I can't remember now. And uh, it came time, there was the first baptism. I went back there. I'd never even looked at the waiters before. And I turned it up and I said, size eight? I've got a 13. How am I going to get my feet in this? And, and so I scrunched up my toes and I worked those things on. And, the, you know, they had suspenders. And they were so tight, they pulled me down. And uh, I couldn't hardly move. And I, when I bent to baptize the person the suspenders broke in the back and shot out over my head. So there are hazards to preaching and uh, that nobody knows about. And reading long words is one of them. Tonight, if you have your Bible, you might want to go ahead and open it to that passage in Nehemiah chapter 8. We want to look at um, some things from that passage. I, I think that there is a challenge today in terms of preaching. I don't know that in all corners of our brotherhood, the kind of preaching that needs to be done is being done. I'm not indicting anybody in particular, but I do think that we need to be careful that we preach the message that God bids us to preach. When Jonah went to Nineveh to preach to those people, God specifically, explicitly told him, preach the message that I bid you. And he did. And look what happened. The whole city responded. And when we get away from the word and when we make it so vague uh, that people aren't able to make application, they don't see the point, they don't get the message, um, we may have a fine talk but we're not doing the or fulfilling the purpose of preaching. And I think in Nehemiah chapter 8, there's a, well, a very good summary of what our preaching ought to be. 
In this passage, uh, just to give you a little bit of background, the people of God had been in Babylonian captivity. Judah had been taken away by the Babylonians, and Jeremiah prophesied that it would be a 70-year captivity, and it was. And so for 70 years, they weren't able to worship as they had formerly worshipped. They weren't able to do the things that God had commanded in His law. In fact, they were removed from the law of God. They didn't have... Every family didn't have a Bible they kept on their their uh, coffee table. And so can you imagine, where would we be in 70 years if we had no Bible? If all of a sudden we couldn't assemble together like we once did to worship? There would be some who were faithful. There would be some who remembered, and from memory they shared with their children and their children's children, and and they kept that going and they kept that instruction. But a whole lot more would have just simply let it pass. You know, mom and dad didn't teach their children. Their children don't even have a basis by which they can teach their children. And we have 70 years have passed, and they really haven't had and haven't done worship like God had commanded them to do. And so now they have come back to Jerusalem, a remnant of them have, and and they're trying to reestablish the city. The walls have been built, and they're trying to reestablish the worship of Israel, the the way that the, the Bible prescribes. And that's the context. And so there are several things that I want to point out about what uh, takes place in this attempt at restoration. And the first one is this. When Nehemiah built this pulpit of wood, it it, it reminds me of a soapbox. I don't know if it was bigger than that. Maybe it was bigger than that. But you remember the, you know, we talk about getting on your soapbox. Well, the, the, the history of that is that soap literally came in these wooden crates. And people would set those wooden crates down and, get up on it and make a platform from themselves and and they would preach and say whatever it is that they wanted to say, their political speech or whatever it was. Ezra says, I'm going to preach to the people and I need a pulpit. And so they built this pulpit of wood and he got up on it and he began to preach. And that's where we pick up. And if you look at uh, Nehemiah, and I'm not since... Clint didn't read those words. I, I don't want to shame him, so I'm not going to read them either. <laughs> but um, it says, Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, verse 4, which they had made for the purpose. Uh, for, for the purpose. And uh, Ezra, verse 5, opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. First thing I notice about this preaching this attempt at restoration, first thing is the book was open. They opened the book. Listen, folks, if we want restoration, if we want people getting back to the Bible, we have to open the Bible. We can't, we can't talk about uh, current events. We can't talk about spend our time in politicizing. We, we, th- there are a number of things that affect moral living and so forth, and they are therefore worthy of consideration. But listen, we've got to talk about the Bible. If, if I don't have anything to say that comes from God's Word, then I need to sit down and let somebody talk that does. 
Because if it's not about God's word, we're missing the boat here. Have we not come here to hear what God says to us through his word? Have we not come to listen to a message from God's word that will challenge me to to live out the next week in harmony with his will? That's what preaching is about. What does God have to say to me? I'm not interested in opinions of men. I, I can formulate my own opinions and and, uh, you know, I, I just, that's not what I want to hear. I want to hear what God has to say. And so Ezra, the priest, said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a revival. We're going to try to restore things. And the way to start is with an open book. I think that's what we need. You know, there was a time in Israel when, um, in Second Kings chapter 22 and verse 8, the book of the law was lost. You know, they had a copy of the Bible, so to speak, the scrolls, and they lost it. And Hilkiah the priest found it and brought it to the king. And, oh, and there was great rejoicing because the book of the law had been found. And of all things, it was lost in the house of God. Imagine losing the word of God in the house of God. Now, I can speculate as to why or how that happened, but it really doesn't matter. The fact is, they lost the book of the law in the very place where it ought to have been. It was lost in the house of God. And how many places today, how many churches have lost the book of the law in their own buildings and in their own pulpits? A number of years ago, there was an entry in an old church record about 150 years ago, and, and you know how they would have meetings and, and they would write the minutes of the meetings, and uh, this record, this entry into this old church record said, um, we're going to have to do something about the squeak in the pulpit. Um, that can be allegorized, I believe. We need more than a squeak in the pulpit, do we not? We need the Word of God coming from the pulpit. And if there's nothing more or little more than a squeak coming from the pulpit, we're missing the boat. There's something more valuable, more important to say. In 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1, Samuel, when, when God spoke to him, and finally Samuel asked Eli, what, what am I hearing? And Eli said, oh, it must be the Lord. Just say, hear my Lord. Um, uh, and so that, that's what happened. But the, the passage talks about how that at that day or at that time, the word of the Lord was precious. Now, that term precious, as it's used in the King James, isn't the way we use the word precious today. We, we use the word precious as oh, sweet, cute, adorable, that kind of thing. It, it's rare. That's the way it was used. Something that is precious means that it's, it's rare. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And again, could the word of the Lord in some places be rare today? And there's the irony. We have Bibles coming out our ears. I mean, they're, they're everywhere. Our houses, no telling how many Bibles we have collectively in our own homes. Yet the word of the Lord may be rare to us because we don't have the book open. If we want to change, if we want the kind of preaching that we need to have and that was effective in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, 
we need an open book. Second thing that I notice is that the preaching was preaching that produced a respect for God. I want you to notice what happened as Ezra opened the book before the people. Look at what it says in verse 5. For he was standing above all the people, and when he opened this book, all the people stood up. Why would they stand for Scripture reading? We, we don't do standing for Scripture readings, do we? We stand at other times, but not for Scripture reading. These people stood up when God spoke to them. You can discount this and say, that's just one of Steve's things. But I have a theory about that, and I may be way off base. I'm going to tell you what mine is, and you can say, ah, you're making too much of it. But I don't know. It it may be the case. I find it interesting that when we read... The word of God, and I'm not I'm not making any rules. Don't don't misunderstand me. I find it interesting though that when we read, we don't stand. When we pray, we do. When we preach, people freely get up and go out and do whatever it is they need to do. When we pray, people stop. There's respect. I wonder why that is. Why do we not get up, move about, and run around? You know, could it be this? Now, I know there are times when people need to get up and so forth, but could it be this? When I'm preaching or when we're reading, it's God talking to us. And when we're praying, we're talking to God. And could it be that maybe subconsciously we're more concerned about what we have to ask of him than what he has to ask of us? Might it be that we want more attention given to what we're telling him we need as opposed to what he's telling us what we need? I don't know. Just something to think about. But these people, when they, when they heard that the book of the law was going to be, they stood up and listened uh, with respect. Not that that's the only way we show respect, but it does show respect. And that's the point that I'm trying to make. In Isaiah chapter um, 6, verses 1 through 5, when Isaiah was taken into the throne room of heaven, he sees the throne, he sees God's train, it fills the temple, and there's these angels and smoke and thunderous billowings, and the angels are saying, holy, holy, holy. And he feels so undone in the presence of God. He understands that he doesn't belong there. Do we have that sense of awe when we come into the presence of God? Do we understand that we are entering the presence of God to worship him and how undone we are when we stand before him on our own merits? Should it not humble us as it did Isaiah? And he said, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And he allowed the angel to cleanse him by taking the tongue and and touching his lips with, with hot coals. But after he's cleansed, he left that place with a mission, here am I, send me. Worship, I think, should do the same thing for us. 
We come into God's presence, we see His holiness, His grandeur, and we should be humbled and feel so wholly inadequate. And then when we realize what He's done for us and that He's forgiven us in spite of ourselves, we should leave here with a mission. Here am I, send me. I'll do whatever you need done. Preaching that is effective is preaching that develops a respect for God. He's God. He's not our buddy. He's not our equal. When we come into his presence, we come into his presence to honor and pay respect to him, or it's not worship. A third thing that I notice about this preaching is that it it could be understood. Turn in your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 8, and look at what it says in verse 7, the latter part of the verse. All these men helped the people to understand the law. They helped them to understand it. In verse 8, So they read distinctly from the book of the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. That's the kind of preaching we need. Preaching wherein we help people to understand this is what God is saying. I've been to places, I remember particularly when I was in college, there was a place I would preach at every other Sunday, and uh, there was a man who taught the Bible class there, and whenever anyone would ask a question, he would look at his Bible and say, well, says what it means, and it means what it says. You know, that was his answer to the, the questions that were asked. That's really not helpful. We need to, uh, there are questions that we have. I can read this and still not understand it. The Ethiopian eunuch read, but he did not understand. He needed someone to help him, to guide him, to give the sense of the passage and help him to understand the application of it. That's what we need. We need preaching that helps people to see this is what the Bible says and this is how it applies to your life. This is the change that it demands. If we don't make that connection between what it says and how it affects the way we live, we're shortchanging people. We need to make that connection. The preaching could be understood. In 1 Corinthians, you remember the Apostle Paul, well, the context was spiritual gifts, but he said, I'd rather speak five words with the understanding than, or ten words with the understanding than 10,000 words that nobody understands. We need to be clear. And then finally, we need preaching that makes application to present needs. Listen, if I preached about, uh, well, let's see, I I take a survey, I find out everything about the people here, and I find out there are no members of the clan in this congregation, so we'll let the clan have it. You know, we'll preach about them. And I'll find out something else. There are no people here that are a part of this organization or that organization or involved in this or that. And so I pick all the things that don't apply to any of us, and and those are my messages. And we can really just rear back and and let those, those issues really have it. I'm not saying that those issues don't ever need to be addressed, but I'm saying what would be more helpful, more practical, is to deal with things that touch the people that are sitting right here that, that's more risky. You might make people mad. You might hurt their feelings. You might create enemies because of it. 
But listen, you know, well, here we are. We've got a school of preaching here. If you're going to preach only when people like you, you don't need to preach. You need to preach the truth if it costs you your job. It means you have to pack up and move. You have to preach the truth if what you say hits the men who hired you between the eyes. You have to preach the truth. And it has to make application. And if there are issues in the congregation where you are that need to be fixed, that are out of harmony with the will of God, you have to lovingly deal with those issues, no matter who is involved, even your own family. We need preaching that makes that kind of application. In Acts chapter 20, um, well, let's turn right here in, in this passage in Nehemiah. As they begin to read the book of the law, they realize, uh oh, we haven't been doing something. It's the seventh month, and, and on the seventh month, we're supposed to celebrate this feast of tabernacles, this feast of the booths. They were supposed to erect booths and dwell in them for a period of time. And, and it is a reflection, well, it was a feast because it was the fall harvest and they were to celebrate the goodness of God and the plenty that he was providing them, the blessings that come from him. But it was also to remind them of that pilgrimage through Egypt or through the, the, the desert for those 40 years, how the people wandered and lived in tents and so forth for all that time. And so they were to do this. They hadn't been doing it for 70 years. This is new, new stuff to them, new material. What'd they do? This applied to them. The priests taught on this subject, even though their lives weren't in conformity with it. They told them, here's what you need to be doing. You need to set up these booths. You need to go live in it. You need to conform yourself to the teaching. We haven't been doing it. We need to start doing it. And you know what? The people responded. They did what needed to be done. You see, that's the kind of preaching we need. I see something in the Word of God that we're not doing well or we need to improve upon, and and so let's do that. Let's get this out here. Let's talk about it, and let's conform our lives to the Word of God. That's the kind of preaching we need. That's the kind of preaching that took place here. Paul, when he talked to Ephesus, those elders at Ephesus, um, it was his last time he's ever going to see them. He had spent three years working with them. And now he's on his way back to Jerusalem. He meets them in Miletus, and he says, Listen, guys, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Day and night with tears I I preach to you the whole counsel of God. I did not withhold anything that was profitable to you. And so, you know, what are you going to say the last time you see people? You just going to talk about good things and, hey, good to be with you, see you, hope to see you again, love you guys. And, and Paul didn't do that. Paul said, I've preached the whole gospel, but listen, I happen to know that grievous wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Your shepherds, don't let it happen. He warned them on his last time to talk to them and meet them face to face, he made application. And so that's the kind of preaching we need. We need preaching that calls us out of sin, calls us to truth, and 
Well, those are the things that we see in this short context in Nehemiah chapter 8. They had been, well, captives for 70 years. Many of them didn't know anything about the Word of God. And so now we're going to have a revival, a restoration. We're going to preach the Word of God. And that preaching was done in a way that got their attention. They respected the Word of God. It called them to things that they had, well, that were shortcomings in their lives. He, they helped them to understand. And, you know, they did. They put into practice the things that they heard. That's what we need today. We need preaching that reminds us of God's holiness, reminds us to be humble in His presence. When we come together, it's not just to to have social fellowship with each other. We are coming in the presence of God. He's a holy God, and we're sinful people, and we ought to be humbled that He even permits us another day of life. And so when we leave this place, we ought to leave with a mission to do His bidding. And we ought to, as we come together, we ought to study God's Word with the desire to learn it and, and to, to understand it and help each other get the sense of it. And then we apply it. Oh, so that's what it says. Oh, and that's how it applies to my life. Okay, those are the changes I need to make. Those are the things I need to work on this week. So... The revival that took place, the restoration that took place in the days of Ezra is, in my judgment, the very thing that's needed today, yet today. And here's how I'd like to close this. I just want to remind you. We, we serve a God that's good. He wants to save us. And I know a lot of people have a lot of ideas about preaching and what it should be and shouldn't be and so forth. And sometimes we, we get a little uptight about, you know, well, what's the preacher doing? I don't like that preacher we've got. He's this or that and the other. Listen, let's put aside our human preferences, our, our human ideas of what we would demand from the pulpits. And let's get back and demand the book, an open book that addresses our needs, that is made clear so that we understand, and that honors God. You can't go wrong with that. And if you're here this evening and you're not yet a child of God, listen, this is what the book says. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you haven't done that, do that tonight. Be added to the family of God and then continue to learn and grow and mature in Christ as you try to be more and more like him every day. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, and you need the prayers of your brethren, you want to confess that you have fallen short of God's glory and you want strength and prayers, we'll pray with you as well if you'll come as we stand together and sing.